Hello and welcome to In Search of Bruce podcast. My name is Pete. <laughs> My name is Bob. What's uh, up, dude? I, I'm chilling, man. I'm. Uh, I gotta. I gotta be honest. I'm a little low key disappointed. I was. Uh, I was in your your hood, and uh, and no one knew you, who you were. No, uh, I was in your <laughs> hood meeting with all, all mutuals. And it was sort of a last minute for me. And uh, lo and behold, you had actually seen one of them like an hour before. I'm like, oh, damn it. I wish, true. I wish Pete was here. Yeah, I was bummed. That's true. I wish I could have been there. Um, I had about a 20-minute notice. And I was out and about doing some shit on a Sunday. And yeah. on top of that, I was, I was knee-deep in about a six-day bout with laryngitis. Ooh, so even no. you, yeah, so even if I had seen you, I would have sounded like a dying frog, and it wouldn't have been all that much fun. <laughs> well, I mean, a little bit fun though. Like, a little bit like fun. A touch. Okay. I could, I could, like, I could silently laugh at the jokes. And That's true. Kind of just was, sit around and try to partake, and everyone be like, "What?" It was, a, it was a nice time. We had Indian food um, at a spot I hadn't been that was top tier, fantastic. Yeah, good spot. Yeah, like really good spot. So shout out to them. Um, Pete, what are we talking about today? You 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 alluded to something, but man, what, I'm scratching my head. What are we talking about? Our hometown hero, Bob, the boss, the Bruce boss. Springsteen and the East Bruce. Street Band. Bruce. Bruce. That's the um, kind of energy. It's never like, Bruce. It's like, no. Bruce. It's that long U sound. <laughs> it's that real long U sound. Um Here's my question for you. You re-listened for the re- redo, the, our, our re- revisit, right? I did, yeah. Um, a couple of quick questions. This is a Bruce Springsteen record from 2020. It's uh, Bruce Springsteen, Letter to You. Yep. His COVID album. His COVID album, but it wasn't like... Yeah, it wasn't no, like he wrote it. Thank God. Um, yeah. That seems like nothing nobody wants. Um. Is this record offensive in any way to you? No. Uh, there are moments, uh, but it's not that I, I, offensive. Is maybe this a offensive strong is word, too strong? I, I don't yeah. think there's any moments that are offensive. Okay. Does Bruce deliver a lot that a casual long timer fan would expect from a record? 40 years into his career. <laughs> um, is there any, what was the question? Is there anything surprising? No. It, it, does he deliver? Does he deliver? Yeah, he delivers. For, yeah. yeah. For 40 years in. Yeah. 40 years in a fan who's like casual, loves all the hits, but isn't like, um, uh, isn't necessarily seeking out the demo tracks, you know? Yeah. Um, maybe thinks some of his more esoteric stuff is a little too weird. Um, but it's like looking for that that glowy, warm 80s hits into 90s melancholy. You know, there's nothing offensive about this record. No, it's got does, it all. Does he do anything new on it? Not, not at all. Not for a second. Does anyone on the planet Earth want Bruce Springsteen doing anything <laughs> new on his 2020 album? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Um, that was Did, my over, overall I, feeling when I listened. I have an overall. I have an overall question. Please. Did Did Bruce Springsteen gain a single new fan 
by putting this record out. Not a chance. Not a <laughs> chance. That said, I don't know that he's looking to. I mean, you hear the weird NPR interviews and what have you and like whatever. And I, I think, I wonder for artists who are very successful, have found their mountain and own many homes or just one giant one or what have you, but like they've already climbed the mountain. You always hear them talk about like, Hey, I, you know, I'm trying to let people, it's always nice to have new listeners. I think it's lip service and I don't say it in a bad way. I also think there maybe is something where it's subconsciously triggered. Like, of course I'm creating new stuff. I want people to listen. And of course I want new people. I can, there's always people who can discover me, bro. When you hit the level of a Bruce Springsteen, I think even, you know, we could go way down the list. Let's go to Metallica. Metallica is a pretty big band. Yeah. Pretty, pretty massive. But like their audience and Bruce Springsteen, I don't think they have quite the Bruce Springsteen size audience. Are they gaining new fans from their new album? No. No way. No. Do they think they're gaining new fans from their new album? They Deep might. Down, they might. They're they're crazy people. I don't <laughs> think Bruce Springsteen does. I think he's realistic. And I think no. there's a lot of artists out there who are. Now, you might really want Man, this is a funny thing. I, I, I um, I'm going to use Tom Petty as a comp because I think he continued to be creatively interesting for a long time, and yeah, maybe gained a few new fans here and there, but more so was creatively interesting to long-standing fans. Yeah. It's weird because he, you know, like, like okay, Bruce Springsteen. When's Bruce's first record? Oh, geez. 70. 70. Yeah, right? Like, like he's right there. 70, 71, right there. Um, his peak is mid-80s. I would say he was probably... 73 is the first record. 73, okay, thank you. I'd say he was clearly still catching new fans by the mid-80s. Yeah. I would venture to say he was still catching new fans by the mid nineties. I mean, eighty four is born in the USA, so that's like right. He, that's he triples peak. his fan base. Yes, and I think there were still people falling in from that range for a few years. <clears throat> I think in the mid nineties he found some fans. Um, yeah, he might have caught some weird adult contemporary by two thousand one ish, but then I think it trails off. Yeah. Similar way, Tom Petty, uh, obviously. Some, I think his first record is right there, 73, 74, 75, somewhere in there, too. Um, a similar thing. like found, Continued doing creative, interesting things, smaller level than Bruce, well into the 90s. I, I think if you told me, hey, his records in the aughts have tracks, I would believe you. Does this Bruce record have tracks? has a few tracks, I would say. I actually think it has some tracks. Yeah. I think it's got songs that are pretty good. What is the one that I really like? The the Jenny song. Okay. I like uh, Ghosts. Oh, Ghosts, Ghosts is, is a track. track. Yeah, Ghosts is a track. Um, I actually found myself... I won't say I liked it more 
than first listen. I won't say that I think it's some like pivotal moment. <laughs> it's not. It's none of those things. Uh, 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 J- Janie needs a shooter. I actually found myself warm to that song in some ways. <laughs> um, House but, of a Thousand Guitar is not a track. No, 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 no. But but here's the thing. Yeah. For a record 40 years into a career, I think there was some creative, uh, creatively interesting material. Do I think he was stepping outside of his box? No. But like if you said, <clears throat> let's go through Bruce's material from 2000 to now, this feels like a, a glow. This feels like a shower. This is a good one. Yeah, I think so. I th- I feel like I've I've done the kind of tertiary listen through most of Bruce's records. I think all of them at this point, and mm-hmm. I feel like this one definitely has more tracks than a lot of the 2010s and like early aughts albums or aughts albums. Why do we think that is? I don't know. Uh, there's just I think, yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. I mean, there was a lot of experimentation on his end, just in terms of like a few kind of like devils and dust i think is one of them where it's just Mm -hmm. kind of this like rougher like acoustic like western record that's just totally not my lane like he 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 leans into a lot of things that sometimes that i have like no interest in so that's part of it for me at least so for me i think that's that's one of the notes i would say because bruce is just an example but the overall idea long running artists especially ones that I think have found success and kind of like, like, look, Bruce Springsteen has done cool creative things in eight different directions. You know what I mean? He's had the stadium rockers. He's had the weird records. He's done, you name it. He's got it. That said, I think sometimes as they get deep into their career, you start hearing them talk about like, well, there's some themes I wanted to play with, some sounds I wanted to explore, and you know, I was really thinking about Americana or blah 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 blah. blah, 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 blah. Just I mean, give that, me tracks. Just give me tracks. I want good yeah, songs. That's it. For, <laughs> for real. I mean, but actually, you mentioned it kind of in passing, but the Americana thing. I feel like that's that's often a thing that comes up. Like Petty did that. Bruce Springsteen mm-hmm. did that. I'm sure that any number of other people have done that. I think Elvis Costello has done plenty of that. And it's just like, it it never, ever, ever lands for me personally. And I I feel like I can speak for you and say it doesn't land for you. Where like, rarely, that's just not a thing that like, like, dude, I, I don't need to hear Bruce Springsteen do Pete Seeger songs. And he did a whole album of them. Like, I just don't care, you know? Yo, and like that can apply to a few different because Americana was a good example, but you'll hear people talk about like, oh, I wanted to dive into uh, country western. Uh, country western is another big one where it's like, it's not, I'm not doing a country record. I'm just showing my appreciation for it. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> you have a steel, what is it, the steel pedal guitar or whatever, you know what I mean? Like steel right. drum. Like, and it just is like shoehorning some weird things that you're like, I kind of like this. Um, (laughs) It's almost like boredom. I know I'm not writing my biggest song and I know when I'm going on tour, I'm still playing, you know, born in the USA and uh, born run and uh, born, 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 whatever. Um, But uh, yeah, I don't think this record does that. I think this record is just like kind of an honest attempt at writing, Bruce Springsteen writing good Bruce Springsteen songs 
that don't feel like he's masquerading as a younger version of himself. Mm-hmm. Nor do I think he's rejecting sounds that feel familiar, which is tr- threading a needle. Um, it's a it's a complaint I I throw often is I hate when bands Metallica, here we go Metallica again that Metallica Saint Anger record it was Metallica saying they were going back to their old sound but they didn't because they couldn't but what they ended up doing was doing a hackneyed version of a sound that younger bands did that they said was based on Metallica's sound. Right. And so it's like, you're doing a fax of a copy of an original that was your original. Right. But it sucks. It sucks (laughs) so bad. Um, I listened to Metallica, like uh, Ride the Lightning, like, a week ago it was like god this is so good um so and maybe then you I'm listen just, to the new record and you were like fuck i didn't listen to the new record i yeah, did I see that they were having either. i did see they were having some like listening parties and i was thinking about how that's an interesting scene in 2022 oh, yeah. 23 it's 2023 how about that um so you know and, and i wasn't mad about it i actually like the idea of that but i hope it's okay is all i'm saying uh this bruce springsteen record is in relatively more than okay, just flat out there. It's a totally okay record. Totally um, okay. In relativity, pretty good. Just on its own, totally okay. You want to give it some ratings? Let's give it some ratings. Last thing I'll say is um, yes, please. We the original episode that we covered yes. um, for this was on the. It came from New Jersey podcast, and mm. as we do with these um, kind of reflective, like redux episodes. Um, we will tack the original episode on behind this. But one of the interesting things about that episode, we had on special guest AP Mike uh, from The Best Show. Hell yeah. Who, who was a great guest. Um, I would love to have him back at some point. But one of the things he said as like a long time, like like Bruce Head. Yeah, straight said That like, you know, Basically, what he does is every Bruce record that comes out, he'll give it a few listens, you know, give it some time, give it some room to breathe, and then pick out, you know, the three or four tracks, because I think he said it's usually that amount that really end up sticking with him and just kind of add them to his Bruce best of list. Uh-huh. And like, and that becomes like the record for him, essentially. So like, he he essentially has like a solid EP out of like every Bruce record of the last 20 some odd years which i thought was sounded accurate and i thought was a cool idea i agree with that i agree with that strongly that's cool yeah. shout out to him um all right let's talk about this holistic quality is this record good out of 20 i think it is solid as hell nothing new like you said it's all right if he pl- if I ever see him live again and he plays Ghosts, I'll be stoked. Um, I'll give it a thirteen. I gave it an eleven. I think it's solidly, like I said, in relativity, it's pretty good. Objectively, against everything else, it's it's a fifty-five. You know, good, good. Yeah. Highs out of ten. How how good are the best parts of this record? I gave it a <laughs> six. Um, again, trying to be objective with it. A uh, couple 
really solid tracks that I think are good songs. I gave it a seven. I could have gone maybe a little lower, but I'm feeling generous. Hell yeah. Uh, lows, how low can a punk get? How low are the lowest parts of this record? I gave it a three. Uh, maybe I'm being not generous uh, enough, but there's some songs on here that I will literally never hear again. Yeah, that's I, I landed in the same place. There are some pretty weak songs on here that are almost cringy for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, competency and peer review. Uh, clearly very competent. Peer review is tough comparing Bruce Springsteen to anyone. Um, so you got to compare him to himself, and then it's a little rough. Uh, five out of ten. Just to try to be fair, clearly high level. Competency, recording, everything. And I actually uh, credit to Bruce. I think his vocals are very strong on this record. Yeah, his vocals are strong. I gave it a six. Um, I just, I guess I was thinking of it more in terms of like, you know, like you you were saying, comparing it to Tom Petty and stuff. It's like, I feel like this is a stronger late, late career record than a lot of people. You know, this is more than late career. This is late, late. I like the way you said it. It's double late. I'm bumping my score up to one point because it's, it is late, late. Um, and it deserves that because I w- let's compare it. If I compare it to the first fifteen <laughs> years of Bruce's, if I compare it to the first twenty years of Bruce's career, uh, not great. If I compare it to the last twenty, it's doing pretty well. Yeah, for sure. Um, f- drag factor. Does this record drag at all? Uh, four out of ten. It drags a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to give it a three, actually, because it drags. And then a lot of the time, the songs aren't super strong, kind of in a row. Yeah. In little bursts. Yeah. Flow out of 10. Um, I think it moves relatively well from song to song. There's no, there's nothing that's totally janky in the order or how things move, but it's not like, there's also no transitions that, that pull me in. So uh, I gave it a six out of 10. Okay. Yeah. Flow. I mean, to me, there's the, the, the closer is an obvious closer. The opener feels like an obvious vibe that he's going for as an opener. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, it, it kind of just feels like a collection of songs. So I gave yeah. it a four. Yeah. Um, aesthetic out of 10. Um, I at first was going to go lower, but then I reviewed some of the other album art of the last, uh, grip of, Bruce records. Um, I like the weird photo of him. I like the positioning of it. Uh, it feels it works well with the title. Five out of ten. Yeah, that's where I landed too. I'm I'm impartial, but it's it's fine for a Bruce record. Uh, impact and influence. Uh, four out of ten. I don't. You know, <laughs> it's it's a record from 2020 by an artist who had <laughs> who was 25 years past uh, his last like huge records you know yeah i'm gonna give it a three yeah uh and the intangible i gave it a five out of ten because it's bruce springsteen and i wasn't upset by it or bothered or you know when you listen (laughs) sometimes when you listen to records especially this deep not just late but like (laughs) pete where i lived in upstate new york when i was a kid uh we had yards that were like backyard and then we had the way back which was the yard behind someone's fenced in yard. Yeah. Um, so we'd be like, Oh, we're in the way back. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
and uh, that's where we would play football and a lot of baseball games and different stuff. And then you had the woods. Um, so this isn't late in the career. This is late, late. Uh, five out of ten. Intangibles. I I feel really warm towards Bruce in general, yeah. and hats off for making a record this solid so late, late into the career. So I, I actually gave him a seven. Hell yeah. Pete, I came in at a even 50 out of 100, which feels about right. Nice. I'm at a 51. Yeah, feels good. Well, with that, <clears> we'll <throat> leave it to ourselves. Guys, take it away uh, from the infamous It Came From New Jersey podcast. We present Pete and Bob. Hello, and welcome to a Came From New Jersey podcast. If you don't already know, we talk about music from New Jersey, album by album. Um, I'm Pete, as always, joined by our other host, Bob. What's up, Bob? Hey, hey what's up, Pete? Doing good. Nice uh, nice night tonight. So Beautiful night. Beautiful rainy night in New Jersey. Um, but today, we're actually joined by a very special guest um, who is here to help us talk through our album of the week, um, Mike Lisk, otherwise known as AP Mike from The Best Show. What's up, Mike? Let's go, guys. Welcome to the show. Thanks Thanks for coming. Where are you guys in New Jersey, exactly? Um, So I am in Leonardo, um, right by Atlantic Highlands, Monmouth County. Yeah. Uh, That's that's Kevin Smith's territory, right? I I am two blocks (laughs) away from the clerk's store. Yeah. There you go. Okay. (laughs) And I am in uh, the beautiful township of Brick, New Jersey. Oh, okay. uh, Here in Ocean County. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm right next to you. I've I've been staying uh, most of the summer, actually most of the pandemic, I've been staying with my father in Howell. Oh, hey, Howell. So I'm in Howell right now, but I, you know, I'm still in Bayonne, but I've been spending a lot of time in Howell. Well, welcome to the shore. We're happy to have you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great place to be. Um, Pete, you did mention it's a special episode because we have Mike on with us, but even more so because we're talking about uh, we're talking about something we normally don't talk about, which is a new release. Do you want to clue everybody in? Yeah, that's true. So today we're talking about um, the new Bruce Springsteen album. It's called Letter to You. Um, It came out last Friday, which was... The 24th. Yeah, the 24th of October. Oh, 23rd. I'm sorry, 23rd. 23rd of October. Um, Today, I mean, you're going to be hearing this on uh, Wednesday. So it will have come out the Friday, last Friday. Um, So really really new release. Um, He released the album on Friday along with a kind of documentary film. I think it was on Apple TV um where you know it basically goes through the making of the album so you know we watched that we listened to the record um we did all of that in just a short few days so that we could get this out and you know i mean i knew that a lot of our listeners would be listening to this um so i just wanted to you know do something a little more timely try something new out because we've we've kind of been bouncing around the 80s the 90s um 2000s kind of all over so i thought it would be good to do something you know that came out more recent that people were listening to well and and it's funny you say that because i actually have had a couple listeners who've reached out to me and said hey are you guys going to talk about this and and a friend also who who happens to be a listener but he was like oh i've already listened and you guys going to talk about it and i didn't spill the beans so uh hey surprise everybody (laughs) 
I have to confess, though, and I, you know, we're going to talk about the record a lot, and we're also going to talk about the movie. But I have to confess, I did not watch. That's Pete fine. And Mike, I'm hoping you guys can kind of give me give me the uh, Siskel and Ebert treatment here. Um, how was it, Mike? What did you think? Thought it was okay. Um, it's similar. <laughs> it's similar to what he's been doing lately. You know, I'm a I'm a diehard Springsteen fan, pretty much my whole life. Um, even though I was reluctant at first. I mean, I I was in high school when Born to Run came out and uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town. Uh, so those records were huge. You know, you couldn't get yeah. away. You couldn't. I couldn't get away from them to the point where. I, I sort of was being rebellious and not appreciating them. You know, my friends were into it. Everywhere you went, you heard those records. And yeah. uh, so I was a little rebellious and, oh, you know, Springsteen, yeah, all the jocks are into that music. You know, it's <laughs> oh, like, yeah. so yeah, yeah. So it, it was a bit much at the time. I didn't really become like a true blue fan until the river. Uh, I think I, I was in my first year in college when it's when it came out okay and i just thought you know he was going a little deeper on some of those songs Mm -hmm. um they weren't all the big anthems i mean darkness has its you know uh deeper songs too but uh the river was sort of the one that made me a convert uh i saw him on that tour uh and you know you wouldn't believe what you have to do to get tickets uh back then i mean with that I had to actually my sister did it. She she entered a lottery. You sent in you sent in a self-addressed stamped envelope and then it was a lottery drawing and you either got tickets or you didn't. It was a Wow. It, yeah, it was a they had he was doing all sorts of things to sort of help people get tickets and not to the boot the scalpers get them because the demand was so intense then. And yeah. uh, you know, you had to go to it you had to go in person to a Ticketron outlet <laughs> and the ticket to- Ticketron outlets at the time could be anything from a, you know, a magazine stand. I think there was a Ticketron in a department store. I used to go to that Mammoth mall. You had to go to all these different places. There, there was, there was the fame, the famous one. It was, it was like a head shop in Tom's river. And that was where every, all the cool people went to get their, their tickets for shows. But, the, yeah. but it was a mob scene, you know, I mean, people sure. were, stay overnight you know there'd be people camped out uh so i prefer bamburgers <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt like you know not too many people knew it was in there and i got a bunch of tickets for shows in that in that that ticketron outlet wow that's awesome i mean so. it's still a mob every time he plays i mean i feel like he could play madison square garden for like two years straight and sell out every night at this point you know yeah I, i've seen him many i've plays. seen him ma- many times I guess the last time I saw him was uh, well. No, I saw I saw him in a new MetLife Stadium. Probably, oh yeah, probably on uh, working for a dream tour. I okay, think that, I think that may have been the last time. And that was like a last minute thing. Sure. Um, and I actually ended up getting a really good ticket. And I enjoyed the show more than I thought I was going to uh, because I was, you know, his last ten years. I mean, his last few records haven't really done a lot for me. You know. Yeah. Uh, it's more hit or miss. I was going to ask how deep you went. I mean, so it sounds like every time he puts a record out, you at least give it kind of a cursory listen. Well, yeah, now that there's Spotify, 
Sure. Yeah. I, mean, I used to, you know, I was pretty much buying them, you know, still. Uh, yeah. But I think I think the last record, I mean, I'm not counting the Broadway soundtrack. Uh, what was the one before that? The um, Magic? Or, no, uh, no, no. It's, a Wrecking uh, Ball? The one with Tom Morello on it. It's sort of an odds and ends record. High Hopes, oh, I think. High Hopes, high hopes. yeah. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I listened to that once on Spotify and I'm saying, okay, that's not for me. Yeah. I, I never bought that one. I had the um, same feeling. But, uh, you know, I'm always interested in what he's up to. He's an interesting artist. I'm still, I'm still interested to hear what he's doing. You sure. know, Mike, I actually like the way you put that. He is, he is still an interesting artist, but I largely feel very much the same. The last 10 years, you know, and we'll get to this record, but uh, not, it hasn't been a lot for me. Um, mm-hmm. What is the last Bruce record? And I want to, if you don't mind, I love to talk to people who have a long, history with something like this you know uh-huh. an artist what's the last record that you felt really connected to or that you that you put on and it's like i i really love this record i don't know if i'd say for the whole album but magic did have some uh really good songs on there uh girls in summer dresses i really really enjoyed that song he, he was he was trying to do something different i mean he was yeah. trying to do something different on uh Western Stars, is that what it is? Western Stars? The yeah, last, the last one, yep. Yeah. And, yeah, that just didn't do anything for me either. You know, I, I, I went to see the movie, you know, I tried to give it a shot. Um, but, I, you know, I didn't know what he was going for there. You know, the people were talking about, oh, he's going for, like, a Glenn Campbell sound. But I'm like, in 2018 or 19, yeah. whatever year. <laughs> it just seemed like, that's weird, you know, Okay, you know he's 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 doing his thing, you know yeah. you gotta you gotta let him do his thing, but I you know I, I didn't connect with it. I um I wanted to ask because because you mentioned it, going back to that the the tour the the river album tour, and and you have seen him over you know many times oh, over through. the years yeah many yeah, times you've seen him many times. What what is the biggest thing that you think has changed, or what's something that's changed through that? Because you know. We're talking about it now. He sells out MetLife days and days and show after show, yeah, after show yeah. in, you know, in strings. Yeah. And he was doing that back in 1982, you know? So, yeah. But what is it? Is there anything that you think has changed other than, hey, he's got, he's just got more songs to play. Um, is there anything else that you'd know? Like, hey, this is a little bit, this is notably different. Th- this album or you just mean in oh, general? the live show. The live oh, show. Oh, the last time I saw him? Yeah. Uh, well, it, He's one of the he's one of the best live performers you can see. Yeah. I mean, and if you're a fan, you know you're gonna have a good time. You know, I've I've never like I said I I went I, the last time I went to see him was uh, working on a dream, which I didn't even really care for that album. Mm-hmm. But it was like a last minute. Oh, I'm just gonna buy a ticket for myself and go over there. And I and I did, and uh, right. I ended up having a great time. Um, live, he's phenomenal. You know, I mean, he, he knows how to put on a great show. So you're, you're not, I've never had a bad time in a Bruce Springsteen show. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of the energy I've always gotten is that mm-hmm. even through, you know, I, I, there's not really many valleys, you know, no. there's just been a lot of, of rolling hills. And so it seems like that's the one big consistent because I'd say his past 20 years of, of recorded output, there's some real peaks and some real valleys. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 just fascinating that he's been able to keep such 
a connection with the fan base. And I think that live show matters a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I mean, I I had to endure some, you know, they call them the bathroom break songs, (laughs) you know, where, you know, the crowd and and they, yeah, people, you know, uh, whether it's nice or not, people vote with, with their feet to the bathroom during certain songs during, during concerts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, one song was uh, Youngstown. That was a big bathroom break for a song for a while. And then for me, more recently, it was Outlaw Pete. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he, he really, he, he wanted Outlaw Pete to get, to win over the audience. And, uh, the crowd was just not going for that. You know, <laughs> he pushed that song hard. I mean, yeah. I, think, I think he played that song at every show on that tour. And uh, so I give him credit. You know, he tried to get it get it through. Youngstown was was similar. You yeah. know, Youngstown isn't isn't as bad as Outlaw Pete, but it's I don't know. It's just I don't think it's the anthem he thought it was. You know, uh, Mary's Place strikes mm-hmm. me as another one where he thought that would be another huge crowd pleaser. And I don't know. It's a it's a little corny that song, right? I mean, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sometimes I think he he misses he misses the mark as far as knowing where to uh, edit himself, maybe. Or I mean, and and that applies to this new record to me. Uh, yeah. There there's some songs I like, but then there's other songs I'm like, oh, you know, what's going on here? You know. Uh, should we just jump into the new record or let's, let's talk new record. Um, okay. So, because one of the things we try to do and, and we've actually done a, a Bruce Springsteen record before, so we don't have to establish too much. We're all pretty familiar, but I would say that I've given most of his newer records, at least a cursory listen. Uh, geez, when's the last one I really didn't check out. I, I you know, I, I've kind of worked to, to go back and listen and listen and listen and um but i haven't given them i there's some of western stars i enjoyed uh i did i actually thought magic was a good record there's a couple songs i mean since since the rising which now we're going back almost 20 years yeah um it's been real check in check out for me so this record gave the deep headphones listen and uh yeah kind of excited to talk about it pete you're you're the same you actually have a pretty deep familiarity with Bruce material and as we're discussing with Mike he does too so yeah let's get right into it Pete cool one of the things that I thought about when uh when I was listening to it was that you know and we were just talking about how great of a live act he is um it felt like a lot of these songs to be were written for a live setting and I was just wondering like you know when a Bruce record comes out for me I'm usually thinking to myself like this song is going to kill live you know, or, you know, like what's going to be on the set list basically. Um, and I was thinking that a lot during this. And then I thought to myself, well, he's not actually going to tour for it. You know, like when is that actually going to happen? So, so I'm wondering, you know, how much the lack of touring is going to affect people's kind of, uh, you know, reception of this, because for me, you know, again, it's always, I will listen to the record and then I'll, if we, if I don't even, if, even if I don't go to the show, I'll watch, you know, live, live footage of that tour and kind of see how those songs land live. Um, what do you guys think about that? Do, do you think it really makes any difference that he's not going to be able to tour on this at this point or, or well, what? 
I, even in the recording, though, I mean, I, I think it's the first time he's recorded with the live E Street band in a long time. Yeah. So, yeah. so the way it was recorded gives you that feeling, you know, because yeah. that's what that's what it was. It was they were basically doing it live in a studio. Um, Did you, you can feel some of that energy here. I think you can feel it on some of these tracks. Oh, yeah, it kind of has a was, throwback on that in that sense for sure. I was going to ask you guys. Yeah, I mean, I think you can a little bit, but it's also it's really slick, and that's one of the things that I felt like was slicker than even some of the more recent records, um, which I felt like took away from the energy a little bit for me at least. Mm. No, I, I didn't. I didn't feel like it was quite there. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I liked the overall ener- energy to me was a boost. You know, I, yeah. I, I like I like this record better than Western <laughs> Stars, mm-hmm. you know, even though we'll, we'll get to some songs that I didn't really care for. Sure. But I, I, li- I like the the sound, the overall sa- sound of the band. Like you said, it, it's, it's got that live feeling, yeah. which yeah. Uh, just automatically gives it a little more energy. Yeah, to so, me, I, I think you can almost... There's a warmth, almost a glow that comes from that uh, live in the studio and having the band there. I, I do. I'm kind of two worlds on it, Pete. I do hear some of that bigger production, but it's on the quiet moments on the record. You know, where the ones that are a little bit more pulled back, mm-hmm. um, and it almost feels like there's that. <clears throat> it's. I have to give Bruce Springsteen a lot of credit here. And it's a weird thing. Who, who the hell am I to give Bruce Springsteen credit? <laughs> but uh, he is able to, with a both a, a beautiful and unique and, and pretty singular voice that's gritty, to have pop vocal production in a lot of places where it's clean and it's almost it's not it's not apart from the music, but it's a little higher in the mix. But it doesn't play like that most of the time. I think the full band parts of this record really pull it in, keep it really kind of grounded to the music and with the music. But in some of the quieter moments, um, I'm thinking of the, oh, geez, what's the the one song that I really noted on? Um, uh, House of a Thousand Guitars. Um, some, of the, some of the opening track on One Minute You're Here, you know, which is a little bit quieter. And then even the closer, I think you do feel, he, he feels a little bit apart from it. But overall, uh, what pulled me in and, and we can kind of keep moving here is that <clears throat> that that presence of the E Street band in the recording gives it this this kind of glow warmth that brings me to you know uh, early 80s Bruce you know it, it reminds me a lot of, it, it, there's parts of it that feel very throwback to me without feeling forced which is a good thing yeah well, no, I, I agree and there are a handful of songs that were actually written in the seventies that he. This is the first time he he actually like laid them down. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, I thought that too because I mean a few of those I think they would have been great on you know. Dark I'm, I'm getting River. ahead of myself. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, so yeah, Mike, give us some of your thoughts. Let's let's kind of let's start unpacking this record because I think we all have a lot to say, which is a good thing. Yeah. I think that's a good thing because you know I, I don't I don't know if we've all got uh, if it's all. 2000% glowing, but if you're able to write a record uh, some uh, 40 years into the yeah, career yeah. That, uh, that you got people talking, 50 years, mm-hmm. um, you're doing well. Yeah, yeah. No, he's, you know, he's he's a great artist. I mean, there's no denying that. Uh, but, you know, do, do we want to just start like track by track? Is that what we're we, we wanting yeah, to we do? Can, or? We could do that. Okay. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Well, you know what? First, 
let me let me say this first. Overall, let's let's give our overall. Overall, okay. I I felt good about this record. Like mm-hmm. I, I I've listened to it. I'd say two times straight through, and this is this is mm-hmm. what I call a headphones listen. So I'm deep listening, and then half tra- half again, kind of going through and sorting my feelings. And there was enough on this record that I think I'm going to go back to it. Um, mm-hmm. And there's some sort of undecided feelings, but I, I can be pretty decisive when it comes down to it. But I, I felt good about it. I, like I said, a little bit of a throwback, but um, but pretty memorable. Pete, how do you feel? So I guess I felt similarly. I mean, pretty memorable. There are a few songs that I could see myself going back to. There are a few songs that I am kind of undecided. I mean, granted, at this point, you know, to peel back the curtain, we're recording this on a Monday. You'll be hearing it on a Wednesday. So we've had, you know, about three days to listen to it. Um, You know, so there are some songs that might grow on me in time. Um, I do feel like it's overall stronger than a lot of the more recent Springsteen material. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess my frustration with it is kind of the frustration that I have with a lot of recent Springsteen material. It feels really self-referential and, uh, you know, there's a lot of the same, you know, references and language going on, which is, you know, not to say that he, he's great at doing that, you know, but sometimes I, I wish he would just kind of push it a little further. Um, mm-hmm. I agree. I, yeah, I was actually noting down little, yeah, he's got all these self references to other songs, right. You know, and it's like, really, you know, all right, I guess this, you're reflecting on your life. I mean, that's the records, uh, was inspired by the death of, uh, you know, his bandmates, uh, Danny Federici, uh, Clarence Clemens. From his very first band, right? And yeah. All, yeah. And also, well, uh, George Thies, uh passed away, I guess, in two, two years ago. And that was his first band, the Castiles. Right. So I guess that sort of inspired a number of the songs. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I was listening to it today and I'm like, why don't you just call the album fatal lethal death you know and just get right get right to the point you know yeah uh because i mean yeah a lot of the a few of these songs actually i think they're the better songs are are the because i guess they're more personal are the songs that are reflecting on uh people he's lost um so yeah i mean right off the bat you've got one minute you're here okay uh yeah big black train coming down the track oh all right what's that yeah you know, okay i mean you know he, right. he's he's not subtle nobody's ever accused bruce springsteen of being subtle no and you know <laughs> but but uh i mean i like that i like that first song i think it's 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 sort of uh i like the the, the sound of it the band everything sounds nice yeah uh, that was a nice opening song for me yeah. yeah i agree i think the opening track which is uh one minute, minute you're here. here. I, I thought it struck the note that the album needed to kick off. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as you said, he's not a subtle guy, um, and he he hits you here. And there's, you know, like everything, the lyrics to the record, he's got a, a bit of whimsy, but but it's always that Main Street whimsy. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's speaking plain and he's putting it out there, and it's from the heart. Um, 
but he's setting the tone because this record's kind of, you know, it, it, it is a theme record. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's got a narrative that's through it. And I think the first track is really a, a, a nice track. It's a great intro to the record. And, mm-hmm. and as we said, sets the tone. Pete, where are you at? It's a keeper to me, by the way. I'm keeper. Yeah, I, me too. I, I like that song. Yeah, no, Keeper, I think it's a good opener. I mean, I feel like it's perfect, you know, that it opens with just him and a guitar and you kind of feel the rest of the band emerge as the song goes on, you know, um, like they're getting into position for the rest of the record or something. It's uh, it's cool. Good opener. Um, I just wanted to say one thing, too, though, before um, we move on. I read a Guardian, um, the Guardian, the paper. I read a review of the new record and it said, it is full of Springsteen bingo, trains, rivers, the edges of town, and women called Janie. A number of things are on fire. <laughs> and yeah, I thought yeah. that was hilarious. It's perfect. Uh, yeah, know, I, go ahead, Mike. No, I, yeah, I didn't see that review, but um, yeah, my second listen, you know, I heard, I heard some of the references the first time, but then you listen to it again and it's like, Oh, almost every song's got a little inside reference, you know? Right, right. So, yeah. I thought a lot about the the song Glory Days when he says, I hope when I get old, I don't sit around thinking about it, but I probably will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> here, right. here, here we are. Well, yeah. I've been, I've been in a lot of my recent listening, and it's a, you know, uh, it's a weird thing to say, obviously, but if you're somebody who listens to a lot of music and, and you do the nerdy, deep listen, um, especially with a singular artist, I've been noting a lot of lyrical repetitions recently. And I think it says a lot because I don't know that it's always conscious. And with Bruce, to be very honest, I don't think it's always conscious. I, I mean, some yeah. of it I think is is referential, especially on this record. But I think there's sometimes this dude, this is the way he thinks. And these are the visual and linguistic reference points he is drawn to. Right. And uh, I mean, I, there's probably a grad student paper out there. So someone <laughs> please take that and run with it. I'm sure that's um, true. <laughs> Well, well, with that all said, where do we stand? How do you guys feel about the second song on this record, the title track, Letter to You? Mike, you want to start? Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess this is the single. I mean, I think this was out right, yeah. a few weeks ago, right? Uh, Letter to You, right. Ghosts, I think, was a single, too. That's right. Yeah. Um, for me, the, the, first ver- the first verse is a stumbling block. It's just like... Neath a, neath a crowd of mongrel, mongrel trees. <laughs> I, I pulled that, yeah, I can't even speak it. I don't know how he sings it. Neath a crowd of mongrel trees, I pulled that bothersome thread. I'm like, what, you know, what's he talking about? You know, it's, and, I, and I have this problem, we'll get to it in other songs, where, you know, he's trying to, I guess, be more poetic with, with the lyrics, but he, he's stumbling and it gets clunky and it just doesn't seem normal. It doesn't seem natural. Um, so, you know, the song itself, it's okay. Uh, you know, who's writing letters anymore? You know, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, you have to put yourself in that mood, I guess, but um, it's, it's okay. You know, yeah. Again, it, the, the band, the band is sort of helping every song, for me with this album it, it, it it's got that overall e street band sound that i like so there's a little more energy even to the songs that to me are just sort of okay yeah yeah i mean i like the energy of it especially you know 
as it's moving from the first song and kind of building up, you know, it kicks it up a notch. It gets a little louder. You feel the E Street band in the room. I like it for that. But I also, this was the song, like you said, was the first single. I remember whenever that came out a few weeks ago, a month ago or whatever. Um, and I was reading all the press around it, you know, and it was talking about how he was going to finally record these tracks that he had had for decades and all right. this. And then I finally listened to the track and I was like, I don't love it, you know? So I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> yeah, super absolutely. excited for the record based on this, mm-hmm. but, um, and it's still probably not one of my, definitely not one of my favorites, but, um, it's all right. I don't know. I, I think I'd keep it, but, um, not one of my favorites. Oh, I like it. I like it. I, uh, I think, you know, a recurring theme for both Pete and I, Mike, is that, uh, we, we are, we are like grim reapers when a song drags beyond four minutes. Typically. Mm-hmm. It's okay. gotta be, it's gotta be a really great song. Or an album drags beyond 40 minutes. That's right. Okay. All right. Yeah. This song I think clicks by, uh, I probably could, I could probably trim, trim this song by a minute 20 and feel really, really good about it. But I like it. I actually thought, mm-hmm. um, on the stronger side, I really like the East street band presence here. And I think you said it, Pete, you feel it a lot. Uh, it starts to seep in and it's kind of from where they come in through, uh, um, one minute you're here and then into letter to you. This was enough to pull me into the record and like, okay, like mm-hmm. the, the, when you, I almost approach every record that's a new release as a stranger. Um, but this was my take off my coat song. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. I, I feel familiar here. Mm-hmm. So I liked it. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I can see why it was released as a single, Yeah, you know, even though it may not be my favorite song on the album. I think it, it, it sort of says, oh, okay, they've got the old, you know, the older sound that most of the fans are familiar with. And yeah. people, people would be encouraged, you know. Yeah, you know, and, and I don't want to derail us too hard, but I really, you asked the question, Pete, would touring, not being able to tour hurt this record? And it's kind of like, I don't know, no, yes. You know, I, I mean, being able to go tour is certainly not going to, especially if you're Bruce Springsteen, is not going to hurt. Right. But this record, honestly, it, it, it's not like Bruce Springsteen can go and play small venues per se, you know, but this is the kind of record I feel like you could, you could settle in. If, if he was, if he plopped down and played this record straight through in a, you know, 5,000 cap or small, small arena, this would be a pretty good, it, there's a certain level of intimacy when the E street band comes on and that kind of warmth, like there's parts during this song and then moving into the next song, burning train, which I felt a little bit differently about, but there's parts of this that almost have a holiday feel to it because there's a warmth and like, these aren't holiday songs. This is actually thematically quite dark certain times, but, uh, but there's that familiarity with the E street sound and like, Bruce and the East street that just really pulls you in. Um, track three, burning train. Where do you guys stand? Pete, you want to kick us off? So I'm undecided on this one. I feel like this is a song that's going to grow on me over time. Um, I like the beat. I like how dry, <clears throat> how driving it is. Um, but after two, three listens, it, it like, I don't know. It doesn't do all that much for me. Um, I didn't really dive into the lyrics. Um, 
it was interesting because I was reading a lot of other reviews that came out about it, and a lot of reviewers thought that this was like one of the high points of the record. Um, I didn't really feel that, but you know, it's 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 not it's not on my cut list though. So, what do you guys think? I well, I you know, it, it makes an, a, a reference, sort of an allusion to uh, I'm on fire, right? You know? Yeah. But instead, it, but instead, you set me on fire. Uh, on fire. You know. So this is. And again, it's we're we're on to our second train song, yeah. in, in, in three songs so far. <laughs> so, so in this instance, uh, I would say the train is more Freudian. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And so you know he's on fire, you know, and yeah, he's uh, the white sun's burning, black wings beating. Yeah. Yeah, I, um... I I ran my fingers across the hollow of your stomach. As you yeah. lay breathing, yeah, okay. So this, yeah, this is <laughs> this is a different train. Yeah, this this track. Um, I like the tempo, but I didn't. I actually was thinking about it because I felt like the first two tracks were strong, and I thought when structurally, I actually like how this song fits into the flow of the album. But Pete, you're right. On re-listens, this was one of the ones on my 2.5. In the 0.5, I went back to this one to be like, how do I feel about this? Um, I would go undecided or I would even cut it. Uh, I do like where it is and having an up-tempo song as a third track to kind of bridge. Um, but it wasn't. It doesn't feel vital to me like the first two songs do. And, mm. uh, you know, I, I actually think you know, when you pose the question or think about the idea of like songs that are written for a live environment, this song has the tempo and pacing of, of a song that could really rock in a live environment, but it just doesn't have the resonance um, lyrically or, or any of the vocal tracking that I think could catch, you know, mm-hmm. that really hooks an audience in. So I might cut it. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a cut. All right. I'm, I'm looking at the lyrics as we're doing this and uh, I see another self-reference, uh, Darling, I'm blessed in your blood and marked by Cain. Uh, so, oh. you know, does that mean he got his red wings? Do you, do you know what that means? <laughs> <laughs> right. right, right. I, uh, I don't know. I may be reading too much into this, but uh, <laughs> an allusion to Adam raised to Cain also in this song. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he um, takes the train over to see Janie, and Janie needs a shooter. Let's oh, talk. Oh, here we go. Here. Okay. Yeah, let's here we go. Janie needs a shooter. All right. Um, Pete, kick us off. Um, I feel like this is Bruce doing his best Bob Dylan impression. Um, I love Bob Dylan, and I like when Bruce tries to do Dylan. So um, I thought it was good. I thought that if, the, like, I could see this song being on Dark Side or The River. And I feel like it would have fit perfectly in with that, those kind of groups of songs. Agree. Um, yeah. So, I mean, definitely a keeper for me. I feel like it's one of the better songs on the record. Um, my only thing is that it just goes on for like way too long. Like I felt like the last two and a half minutes could have been saved for like kind of a live only, you know, like outro sort of thing. <laughs> right. Um, it would have been perfect as like a two and a half minute song. And it was, you know, much longer than that. So, so, yeah. so Pete, I'll, I'll, I'll agree and say that structurally, this was another that went around for round three. Cause I actually, this is my favorite song on the record. I really like it. However, 
it's hard for me to say it's my favorite song on the record when I go, structurally, I believe we could cut it at 305 and be totally fine. Um, there is some value in that second half. You know, I, I should be fair. But it's the longest song on the record. It's one second shorter than if I was a priest. But it's 649. And the second half of the record really, the song really loses the momentum. All that said, the uh, lyrical content I enjoyed, um, the storytelling, you know, um, I really thought about the fact that Janie needs a shooter. This is, by the way, one of the songs that was from that group of songs um, that was, you know, so called, was recorded or uh, originally written prior to Greetings from Asbury Park. Right. Um, but I was like, you know, I wonder how this plays in 2020 in difference because shooter is, has a meaning in 2020 that I don't know that it had been then, you know, um, in 1973. It, it, so let me quote Urban Dictionary here. Uh, a shooter, a designated person whom you can rely on to rob or kill somebody. <laughs> don't make me call up my shooters on your goofy eye. So, uh, but it is, you know, more colloquially used as kind of a like, you know, uh, my friends or somebody who's there for me. And I guess it might feel the same. Like I was listening to it almost under that lens. Like, oh, Janie needs a shooter. Yeah, like a good friend. <laughs> but, but why not just say a good friend? I mean, yeah. uh, you know, you, got, you guys seem to have liked it more than I did. Okay. I mean, when when I when I listened to it, um, I mean, this was the one I could tell. All right, this is from his earlier period. You know, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of uh, Greetings from mm-hmm. Asbury Park. There's some good songs on there, right? But but you can tell he he's not under control. You know, he yeah he's trying to do the Bob Dylan thing, but he's but he's out of control. He, you know, he doesn't know how to edit himself. Right, and, that's uh, a really good point. And and it's a really good quote in the movie. Actually, it's from Bob Dylan. Told uh, who did he tell? Uh, John, Clive Davis, maybe. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he I guess he he listened to the first Springsteen record, and he told Clive Davis that he uh, he thinks Springsteen should be careful. He might use every word in a dictionary. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, which you know, yeah. It sort of gets right to the point. And and this song, I mean, I don't know what to make of it. Uh, you know, the first couple verses, you know, Janie's rejecting a, uh, a doctor yeah. and then she rejects, a, a, a priest and then a cop. And yeah. then I'm like, all right, you know, what's a shooter, you know? Yeah. You know, yeah, you know it's, <laughs> I, I don't get it. That's the thing. I didn't, I didn't think like, like Janie needs a shooter now. I don't know what he means when he's saying shooter. Totally. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it doesn't come across like he means a friend like yeah but, you know it's it's odd it's an yeah. odd play of words yeah i just don't get what he's going for and the weird thing for me was that uh are you familiar with warren zevon did a song called genie needs a shooter oh not, no, no. Not. yeah yeah okay okay oh that's warren good. warren zevon had heard about this he just heard a song title somebody had mentioned a song title and for whatever reason uh warren zevon misheard it and he thought the song was called Genie Needs a Shooter. Right. And and so he kept asking to hear this song whenever he ran into Springsteen. <laughs> and I guess Springsteen kept putting him off. So then he he decided to just write his own song called Genie Needs a Shooter. And yeah. 
And Bruce Springsteen gets a, a credit. You know, he's credited on that song. So when I saw this title, I'm like, oh, Springsteen's just going to do his, his version, his version right. you know? Right. And, and it, it, no, it, it's, they're two different songs. <laughs> Warren, Warren Zevon never got to hear this song. Yeah. And so he, he, he wrote his own. And it's his, it's really it's his song, except he sort of misheard the title. <laughs> I, don't uh, know, I don't know how how Bruce even got a, a credit, but I, I guess needs a shooter is enough of, in a title of a song to to give him a credit. I don't know. I will tell but, you this: I'm I'm looking at because you mentioned that, I looked it up while we're talking, and I'm reading the lyrics. So let me read the lyrics a little bit because it's all he might have credited Bruce because he borrowed liberally from some of Bruce's imagery and such. Oh, okay. I was born down by the river where the dirty water flows. The oh, okay. wind cuts through me. <laughs> it's almost a satire. All right. Okay. Okay. Fire burning. Exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, let me see. Where's the other one? Uh, the night was cold and rainy down by the borderline as I lay there in the darkness with a pistol by my side. So he, he was like, okay, I, I want, there's gotta be a great story behind this because the one you told me is fantastic. But I wonder if he, yeah, written. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't go back to listen to the song. It's been a long time since I heard it. Yeah, but I've never heard it. I'm, I'm it, so yeah, curious now. It's a uh, it's a good song, um, but yeah, I, yeah I, seeing the lyrics side by side, okay, you know, Warren Zevon in his mind, you know, he's got a a real warped sense of humor. Yeah, you know, he probably said, "Let me, let me." do a, my version of a Bruce Springsteen song. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to poke the bear. This guy won't <laughs> let me hear the song. All right, here, I'll write my, yeah. this is probably what you wrote, right, Bruce? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it sounds like, Mike, that you're going to cut this one. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not going to get ahead of myself and say what I think about the early, the other early songs on this album, but for me, listening to them now, I can see why, we're not hearing that we didn't hear them all these years. Yeah. They, they, they didn't, you know, I, mean, I give, I give him credit that he put it on the, the slush pile. Right. Yeah. All these years. I don't know why he dug it up now. <laughs> well, you know, you know it, it, I actually think that's such a great point because uh, I, I did catch, there was an interview with Bruce on NPR on, you know, I don't know if it was fresh air or something, but I caught part of it while I was driving and they made reference to his early period where he was, you know, we'll say heavily influenced by Bob Dylan and he cops to it. Clearly he's like, yeah, I was trying to be Bob Dylan. I was trying Uh to write like that. I mean, who was it? Yeah. No secret. Right. Yeah. Um, But he, uh, he was like, you know, I wish I had kept going with it a little bit, but I wasn't the best at it. And maybe I would have learned. And it's so fascinating because I believe that he continued on with a certain level of storytelling in his songwriting, you know, you look at his his catalog, and it's not like he he went to just you know a completely different form. He just he he evolved and his style grew, and he he kind of left some of the more awkward or stumbling bar- parts of his his lyric writing behind him to the early catalog and, and simplified it, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. That said, exactly what you said, like. It's interesting to dig this one up, and maybe there's a reverence. Maybe there's something that we don't know in terms of these songs, as far as like not editing them or really kind of going. You know what? There's something about the song that I like, but let me let me trim the fat and and cut to the gist a little bit, or figure out what I can do to make this a little more clear. Because you're right. There's 
Pete, I don't know how you're feeling. I liked the song. Mike didn't love the song. And we both are saying there's an ambiguity there. Like, do you know who the shooter is? I don't know. No, no, I don't. No. Right. So, so three for three ambiguous shooter. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting that yeah he 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 maybe there's a reference there that we don't know about. Um, which I'm is just always say, amazed that they can keep you know songs on the like cutting room floor for thirty years, forty years, and then like bring them back. I don't even. I mean, out. like oh, you remember this? Do you remember how this part goes? I, I'm I, there's a certain uh, level of uh, suspension of disbelief. I'll say. Sure. Yeah. Um, let's go to last man standing. Bob, you want to start that one? Sure. Uh, I felt like this one um, kind of leaned in a bit more with the – it was not as long, uh, a little bit more of that E Street feel. Uh, I liked it, didn't love it. But overall, I might keep it. I, I felt pretty good about it. Yeah, I wrote that I'm keeping it. This is the one that he wrote, I guess, about George Thies, um, who died in 2016, like we mentioned, um, right. from the Castiles. 2018, um, I think. Right? Oh, 2018. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's got the signature sax part. The lyrics are all there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I really like, I don't know. At the first couple of listens, I was like, I couldn't really get past the lyrics just because I feel like I've heard this song a number of times, but then sure. the fact that it's, you know, like really about this guy and you know, that he had known for a long time. And the fact that, um, you know, Bruce is getting older, people he knows are passing away, you know, like eras just continue to end for him. I feel like as the years go by, I mean, it was like kind of touching in that way. So I think it's a keeper for me. Yeah, I, I liked it. Um, I think it's one of the better songs because it's yeah, it's it's probably the most one of the more personal and direct songs on yeah, the album. Yeah. Um, the uh, there was one lyric though that really stuck out for me. Um, it's in verse three. I can guess it. <laughs> Is it black leather club all along Route Nine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How'd you know? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so, but it's but it's let's let's be clear. It's it is well on on this website I'm looking at it. It's black hyphen leather clubs right, right. all along Route Nine. So is he talking about upholstery? <laughs> I mean, you know, and uh, you know, I, I I live right off of Route Nine. I'm I'm sure. two minutes I'm two minutes from Route Nine right now. Yeah, and I, I'm quite familiar with with Route Nine, and. I'm like, what is he talking about here? You know, I mean, he's <laughs> talking about the carpet place. Did they? Yeah, you know, I mean, no. There, there were there were a handful of bars along Route Nine, but uh, I don't remember the upholstery that well. <laughs> that, that it would have stuck with stuck with me all these years. You know, yeah, actually, you saw more red upholstery. <laughs> I, would, I would think red leather clubs were more popular. <laughs> I would think, particularly like Italian restaurants, would have a bar. Yeah, you know, they they'd always have the red leather. I'm so, wondering is he is he trying to allude? Well, so so there's a lot of different ways we could take black leather clubs, um, mm-hmm. and and you know I'm gonna I'll stay with the PG versions of this, but uh, but I'm I'm thinking he's th- talking jackets, right? He's talking, yeah, uh, okay, which makes yeah. sense, right? Like, okay. but but again, as people who are familiar with Route Nine, uh, uh-huh. 
there's a certain there's a certain nostalgia here. He's talking about the the times when he was getting started off, and I, I have to imagine that Route Nine had a little bit more um, going on in terms of bars back then. But at this point, unless you're talking strip malls um, or Wawa's, there's you know. I mean, I can't, it's a little, I can't think of a, maybe maybe at the at the one bowling alley I can think of right before you get the free hold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Howell Lanes. Yeah, there we but, go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about yeah. All right, so maybe we're talking about black leather jackets. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. then I'm thinking, well, okay, were there, were there a bunch of Fonzie like uh, you know guys running around back then? I don't remember black leather jackets even being that popular. Uh, I mean, he's older than me, a little older than me. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I think there might be a little bit of creative uh, liberty on that because I, uh, maybe, but I would have I would have gone denim, I, black leather clubs. Yeah, that that's a uh, one motorcy- not, not, a, a motorcycle. I'm trying to think. Yeah, was it motorcycle a, clubs? Were they playing motorcycle clubs? Yeah, it was a know. motorcycle shop. I, I remember going to a motorcycle shop along <laughs> Route Nine, but uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of what you know where the the motorcycle gangs hung out and howl on, on Route Nine. I, I don't don't recall anything like that. No, I think you got to go a little further south on Nine. Like you got to get down into Bayville before I'm I'm thinking you're seeing motorcycle clubs. But uh-huh. um, but no, you know what? There there is an element here. Um, obviously, the reference to Route Nine. Uh, you know, a, a pretty big Bruce lyrical thing yeah. there. Um, there's also a familiarity. It, it's super personal, and I think this is where he is a strong songwriter and and where it kind of kicks in emotive and i think he he speaks well and and the the Mm -hmm. the vocals here kind of emote that he's speaking of like oh we played knights of columbus and the fireman's ball pete Mm -hmm. is the fireman's ball the fireman's ball isn't the thing up in up your way up by red bank is it um we have the fireman we have the fireman's fair in fairhaven that's That's the one i'm most familiar with that's where i went as a kid but and they do fireman's ball there's another one there's one in manasquan i don't know but yeah it's all you know he he really gets pretty specific with this stuff um but also leaves it open enough that people like oh knights of columbus i know knights of columbus oh fireman's ball i know the union hall of course you know yeah so uh Mm -hmm. this is a good song this this is maybe not the most classical but but there's there's a there's an element where the lyrics kind of you could you could squint and and be like yeah you're, you're just you're just strumming the same old tricks but i feel good about it on this track i feel i actually really i, I think I, i'm i'm talking myself into the song more, and more. <laughs> um i think it grows when you listen to it more this, this one yeah. you know on my second list and i'm like okay this i like this one yeah i agree uh, so how do we feel about the power of prayer? Uh, Mike, why don't you start us off on the power of prayer? Uh, yeah, I'm not I'm going to, yeah, this, this was not a, a favorite of mine. Um, I don't know. He, he's, he's been doing this thing for a while now where uh, rock and roll, he, you know, the rock and roll salvation. Yeah. Uh, and if you've seen him live, he, he, he turns into a, a preacher at one point, you know, preaching yeah. the self. Salvation. I mean, it's it's great live, you know, but sure. you know, is, is it real? I, I, you know, yeah, it's been going on a while too, you know. So it's 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 not. It just feels like okay, we're back, we're doing this, and he's you know he's been making more uh, religious references uh, in his music uh, in the Broadway play in the Broadway show. You know, there's a fair amount of 
he's sort of more accepting. I mean, in his early music, he was sort of a, he was always referring to himself as an ex-Catholic. Yep. Um, so, you know, there seemed like there was some distance. But now I guess he's worked out something. I don't know if he's a churchgoer now, mm. but it, it does seem like he's a little more accept, accepting of uh, religious uh, interpretations. Uh, let's put it that way. And this yeah. this one, I guess he's, he's, he's sort of coming right out, uh, being direct about it. But, um, you know, the, the lyrics weren't convincing to me. You know, they just seem sort of cliched and, yeah. uh, you know, corny a little. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not a fan of this song. Yeah, I felt I felt similarly. I, I felt like it was a little played out in terms of the content. I mean, and in that documentary, I think at this part, he's talking about um, how he was a big fan of buying 45s and, you know, seven inches, seven inch singles back then. And, you know, always thought of it as like, you know, you could, if you play the perfect song, it's essentially, it has the power of prayer. And I was like, I feel like I've heard him talk about this so many different times in so many different ways before. And it never really caught me. And, you know, him doing it again, definitely didn't catch me this time. Um, Yeah. I don't know. This was on my cut list. Yeah. You both said it really well. I don't need to drag it out. This song is an easy cut for me. I actually felt like, as a song, as a track, the repetition of that's the power of prayer didn't pull me in at all. Um, I get it. I get the imagery, but it also took a second to be very honest. Like he's done it better and more efficiently in other places as have other artists with this illusion of music as religion, music as salvation, music as, you know, uh, divinity, whatever you want to put it. So uh, the song's just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. And I, 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 on future listens to this record, it's a skip track. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now house of a thousand guitars is kind of an interesting song to me because the first time I listened to the record, it made me stop immediately because it reminded me so much of another song that I then basically had to do the the mental work of figuring out what that song was, which today, um, upon not having figured it out yesterday, <laughs> was texting a good friend of mine and leaving him a voice memo of, hey, I need help figuring out this song. I'm going to sing the melody. This other <laughs> song reminds me of it. Uh, he didn't guess it but he got me close enough that I was able to figure it out. Um, This song is fine, but I can't get over how much there's an underlying melody that reminds me of the Christopher Cross song, Arthur's theme. (laughs) All right. Okay. So uh, I, I really have a hard time with it. When I went back and was like, okay, now that I've solved this weird earworm, um, I thought it was fine. It didn't. It it's a good. It's kind of a a bit of a, a tempo changer and kind of clears the plate. I, I actually like it considerably more than the power of prayer, but uh, but it didn't pull me in, and I was constantly distracted thinking about Arthur's theme. And uh, if you <laughs> I find never yourself, would have thought about you that. find yourself caught between the moon and New York City, um, that's all I could think about. Uh, okay. What do you check it out? Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, Arthur <laughs> Arthur's theme by Christopher Cross from the I've Arthur. Heard, movie. I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
You want to go, Pete? Yeah, yeah, this one was an easy cut for me. Um, I okay. just, I, I don't know. Sometimes he repeats a thing too many times. It makes me dislike it. <laughs> um, funny story. I was in the car listening to this and my wife was in the car with me and she wasn't really paying attention. She's not all that much of a Springsteen fan, but she like turns to me during the, like at the, I don't know, three, four minute mark of this song. And she was just like, I fucking hate this song. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Okay. So, so that could yeah. have that could have tainted my whole perception of it. I'm not uh, sure, but yeah, really, I don't know. This one didn't do too much for me. It just i I didn't feel like it had the energy of other tracks. Um, yeah. So, Mike, are you going to give us consensus? Or are you going to? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. okay. And, and, and particularly coming after after the fir- the last song, it's like a, almost like a one two knockout punch. Yeah. You know, it's 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 the same sort of theme. You know, I'm like. Uh, why a thousand guitars? I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> it, it, it just makes, it just makes the line clunkier. You know, why, why not just house of guitars? And, right. and then, you know, there's the line right in the beginning. I tally my wounds and count the scars. Tally my wounds. This guy's from New Jersey. Tally, right. I've never heard anybody use the word tally in my life. You know, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to use the same word in a line. I get it, you know, but just yeah. say, you know, I count my wounds and my scars or something like that, you know, and you don't have to use the word tally. Um, so, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not a fan of this song. And it's, it's again, he's preaching yeah. uh, his, his rock and roll uh, theme. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, you know, you're, you're totally right. We went from... Uh, Hey, music is uh, is it can be prayer and uh, and and by the way, the house of a thousand guitars is our church. You, exactly. you know, uh, here's all the people and look at the steeple or whatever that little hand trick is, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right, so we we've got a couple cutters. Pete, uh, kick us off on Rainmaker. So this one it just continues in the 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 cut bin for me. Um, it just, I feel like it drags. Um, there are certain parts where like, you know, I was listening to it on Spotify and not on a record, but it felt like it, like the recording felt like it was at the wrong speed or something. Like it just, there was something about the song that just did not feel right to me. Um, I guess he wrote this during the Bush era. It's really the only song I felt that like hinted at politics in any real way. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's more about, I mean, this is a recent song. Uh, so I think this, yeah, this is his political song. Uh, yeah. But uh, I agree. I'm, I'm not a fan of this song. I mean, the album's sort of getting really weak in the middle here. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to go forward. But, uh, yeah, he's even mentions Yahweh in this one. It's, yes, yeah, it's, it does. It's kind it's of a, odd. It's a bit much, this song. But uh, this was, I guess, as close as he was going to get to doing something political. People have been complaining, you know, that why isn't he doing more political type stuff? And, you know, I think in the Rolling Stone interview, he uh, he said it would just be boring, which I, right. I, I tend to agree with. You know, I mean, same. you know, political, most, most political songs don't age well. Um, so that's why he sort of keeps it vague here. Uh, but you can, you can sort of get, get his message. I think we um, also know where Springsteen lies on all this stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah I, I actually think he, he probably doesn't feel the need to hammer people over the head with it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, 
<clears throat> it's one of those things where one, I don't know, did we is track six through nine the uh, the religious section of this record? Um, because this is track eight, and we're right in the midst of it. Um, and and what I was going to say is, you know, I, I this this song on my initial read through, I was I was uh, I'm a keeper. I'm going to keep this song. You know what? I'm going to keep this song. Uh, okay. I don't right. hate it. Um, I actually like the chorus. I like the kind of the reprise. I actually think it it moves pretty well. Um, and it's pretty smooth. He 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 kind of hits some nice parts here lyrically that that I enjoyed. The Yahweh reference was a little, almost feels um, much like you said about Tally in the last song. This feels like he he needed to crowbar it in there. But mm-hmm. um, but my overall take is that maybe this is the case where you know compared to great Bruce Springsteen songs, this is shit mm-hmm. compared to shit. This ain't bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, I actually, uh, I did. I liked, I liked the tempo of it, and I really liked where they end up with the chorus. I, I, I thought it was a little bit memorable. I, I thought the first couple repetitions really worked, but, um, but yeah, it, it's not a, it's not a classic. That's the one part I'll say is I don't think this is going to bring the house down. Yeah, and I think there was a little. I'd have to listen to it again, but I think towards the end of the song, there's a little self-reference. I think there's the the riff from uh, Waiting on a Sunny Day comes oh, in at the end. Oh, yeah. right. So yeah. I guess that's his little, hey, but there's, there's a sunny day coming. <laughs> <All right. laughs> and then it's you just, can see the lyrical know. and uh, thematic homage and, uh-huh. you know, Rainmaker to Sunny Day. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. All right. You're clever. Clever, Bruce. Um, all right. Uh, if I was the priest, this is another one of the um, old tracks, we'll call it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I will start us on this one and say that maybe should have left this one in the box. Yeah, um, this didn't really do it for me. I, uh, you know, what's so interesting about it is that lyrically I, I wasn't thrown off on this. It's really kind of in that tumbling narrative Dylan da, 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 style. But I just, it, 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 there's nothing about this song that pulls me in. Um, and, and I actually feel pulled in the first two songs, even the first half of the record, I'm, I'm pulled in quite a bit more than I am by this song. This song drags a bit and um, lyrically I'm left outside. Yeah, I felt the same. Drags, I was, I don't know, after the last couple of tracks, I, I was looking for something and this didn't. Get me there, and uh, wow. yeah, I don't know. Now, the uh, lyrically, it's just all over the map, and yeah, you know, I mean, if Jesus was a sheriff and I was, if I were the priest, I mean, what does that mean? You know, what, what's he talking about? I mean, you know, this is like, I guess it's supposed to be a western, he's doing like a, uh, a western uh, movie here, and you know, it's just all over the place, doesn't make any sense. Um, it's, it, it, you know, to me, I was thinking, I, I always have Outlaw P close to my mind. Yeah. So uh, I'm like, uh, this was like Outlaw P before Outlaw P. Right. You know, it's like he, he's, he's, he always had a Western in him. You know, this this never came out. He put out Outlaw P and he's like, I think I got another Western in me. Yeah. <laughs> it's called If I Was the Priest. Are, you guys, Dylan, are you guys Dylan fans? Oh, yeah. I'm a huge Dylan fan. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm a lot loosely. Uh, you know, there's there's certain. I like a lot of the hits and the albums that I've really dove into. I like, but then there's others that I've I've sat with and don't don't just wash over me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got like a varied catalog, but uh, yeah, it's funny because I mean, sometimes I think Bruce does Dylan fairly well, and then other times like he really falls flat on it. But it's tough to get right, I guess, unless you're Dylan, and even Dylan looking, gets it wrong. I'm, I'm so. looking. I'm looking. I'm looking at the lyrics and he's, you know, and Papa rode the shotgun on the Fargo line. It's still too many bad boys trying to work the same line. So he's like rhyming, he's rhyming two lines with the same word. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, 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 he's not even like trying, you know, it's just. Yeah. Uh, uh, and you know what, if, if we, if we, let's, let's play full on uh, believer and say, these are, songs from 73 and we'll, we'll even say that these lyrics are from then they feel like it and there is a, a certain level of um of acknowledgement that i think we don't think bruce springsteen even even 10 years after these were written would have written oh yeah you know, they were writing shine and mine yeah and yeah. fan and cheyenne mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> and especially like two rhyme uh two line rhyme structure kind of things you know like back and forth it's a it's yeah sometimes his simplicity works but here it's the word salad he's got a lot that he's spitting out and not yeah. always kicking like I, I, what's funny is I, i'm saying all this about the song and there's a few so, a few lines on this track that really uh like stuck out to me you know mm-hmm. But that was a line, and it wasn't a chorus. It wasn't a verse. It isn't a, a section. It's just like, oh, yeah, that line, you know, Yonder Mountain. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that really resonated. But, uh, you know, then it's followed up by a bunch of other stuff that didn't stick at all. Um, In the documentary, he doesn't, you know, he, 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 he comments on, you know, some wild lyrics coming when, it, when they're doing these songs. But, you know, he never says like why did he dig this these songs up you know why yeah. i mean i'm sure he's i'm not like one of the fanatics i mean i'm sure there's a lot of other songs that haven't made the light of day oh and sure. and, and you would think maybe the later songs you know would have a little more uh his writing would have improved yeah you know why did he go for this early stuff where he was still i think he was 22 years old when he wrote these songs yeah so it's a different perspective um, it just seems odd to me, you know. I, I think it also stands in sharp contrast. Let's let's go right into the next song, Ghosts. In this song, he he has simplified his songwriting, his lyric writing, so much. Yeah, and I think it really. I, I think this is a good song. I'm. I, it's definitely a keeper to me. Um, I think this song much more gracefully catches some of the same energy he's looking for on the kind of religious quartet of the power of prayer, house of a thousand Mm -hmm. guitars, rainmaker. If I was the priest without bludgeoning and with also kind of fitting in with the, the other theme he's got going on Mm -hmm. and it's this reminiscent and it's still kind of, you know he he's he's still got this passion for the music and the yearning for for a lost friend and 
it, it works for me. So this song, I think, fits in this the, the opening, the two opening tracks, "Ghosts," and then um, the closing track. I think really do a nice job of, uh, and I'll see you in my dreams. The last song um, of carrying a narrative of what this album's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. How do you feel about the song, though? This song I love. Um, it's one of the high points for me. Um, I feel like it would absolutely kill live. Um, the lyrics are there. I mean, it's the same, a lot of the same references, you know, that you've, you're familiar with from Springsteen, but, uh, but I feel like it's done tastefully. Um, I don't know. Cool song. I really like it. I liked it first time I heard it. I still like it now. Um, I don't know. It's, it's probably tied for my favorite song on the record. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I, I, I'm quite where you guys are, um, but I see that this is the theme that's going through the record. You know, this this song is is part of that. Um, also, uh, an odd coincidence, this is the second song in a row that mentions buckskin jacket. Yeah, so uh, that's a little weird. Well, that, uh, that was the part I was thinking. He uh, one of the when I think about lyrical repetitions. Bruce Springsteen talks about clothing a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. Okay. Yeah. It's, okay. it's kind of nuts. If you think about it, just, I mean, when you get a chance, you're thinking about it later, think about all the times he references clothing. It's been since day one. He's uh-huh. always <laughs> talking about clothing. Um, yeah. But yeah, the buckskin jacket reference is really funny. Yeah. He wants to get the details, right? I mean, you know, that's what a good songwriter does. Yeah, well, and it's, it's one of the most, it's a grounded, visual cue that is so it's so every man right Mm -hmm. if if i if any of the three of us were to walk into a room you might go oh you know the guy uh he's kind of tall uh you know vaguely pale and uh he was wearing this shirt it's Mm -hmm. one of the first things you go to um and uh it's it's kind of it's it's both folksy and like i said it's whimsical in a main street kind of way so, so you you weren't with us on this, but you see some of the things that we're we're saying. Do you think this is a good enough song to keep on the record? Uh, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll have to give it a couple more listens. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I think I was still saying, you know, it was a little too, you know, in his wheelhouse. You know, like we've been here before. Oh yeah, but but now I, you know, I see he's he's talking, he's addressing the people he's lost, and uh, so I, I see it fits in on this record. So. Uh, I think, you know, that would be worth keeping just for that to keep, keep that theme going. Yeah. I actually, I I see, I see this as one of the songs that could make live show. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think this, who knows about long-term, but it could make live show for a while. Um, Song for orphans. Yeah. This is the, this is the last of the old songs. That's right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was written in 1971. Uh, and again, it's just, you know, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, but that's, that's youth, you know, yeah. youth, you, you know, you're just trying to cram it all in there. Right. And, and you're, you're, you're having fun. You're using finding words. Your yeah, exactly. But I, I don't know what he's getting at, you know? Uh, but, uh, you know, them black 
blind poet generals and restless loud white boys. The times grew thin and the axis grew somehow incomplete. Well, instead of child lions, we had aging junkie sheep. I mean, you know, he, yeah, he's 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 doing the sort of uh, yeah. That's that's Dylan, where you know the wordplay is is going on. But yeah, here it's you know with Dylan, at least the images are a little more interesting. Yeah, and and not just all over the place like this. Well, that's that's uh, I'd say that the Dylan uh, characters and and where he brings them. Are, are certainly more interesting, but mostly because these feel so true to what you said is the idea of like using every word in the dictionary, that quote from Dylan. This feels like a very jumbled image because you go from that verse into the second verse and it's cheerleader tramps and kids with big amps sounding in the void. Okay, uh, all right, you, it's high school, high society vamps, ex-heavyweight uh-huh. champs mistaking suit for soil. And it's like, all right, you're... you're it, it feels like, you know, uh, the cast of, of, you know, a 30 year TV show where there's a, a soap opera level amount of characters to know, you know, there's just so much going on. Um, this song more so than the other two pull pull ups, we'll say from the, the early seventies feels very of the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's, without context, a modern listener hears this and is like, it's almost confounding. I think my Ooh, your sentiment yeah. of what is this is yeah. head on. It's like what is this? It just it you you need too much context mm-hmm. for this song, and that takes the listener out. And that's exactly how I felt. I would I would cut this song off the record. And the chorus sounds uh, like a band song to me. Mm. Uh, uh, oh, I could hear uh, that. The night they drove old Dixie down, or was it the wait? One or the other. Yeah, I, I forget which one, but it's. It, it sounded like um, it sounded like the band to me. Yeah, yeah, I it was a good pull actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, musically, I I would actually keep this on the record, but yeah, the lyrics take me out of it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, because musically, I, I didn't, I didn't, it, it didn't, it was nonplussed, and I, I actually probably would let it run. But when I started listening to the lyrics, I remember that line about the Confederacy. You really got me, and I'm like, the Confederacy's in my name now. What? Huh? You know yeah. it. it I think it's a good rule of thumb that if the lyrical content makes you perk your ear in a way that you're then a little bit confused afterwards, that's not a great sign for your listening. Mm. You know, that's yeah. not, that's not a great sign for the song. So we've arrived at the final song. I'll see you in my dreams. Pete, why don't you kick us off? So this one, I feel like it's, uh, it's good. I mean, I'm going to keep it. I don't love it. Um, it's kind of just a perfect closing track. I feel like it was written to be the closing track. Um, you know, um, I don't know. I don't have much to say on this one. I feel like there's not much new here, but it's, uh, you know, it's a solid closer. It kind of goes along with the sentiment that he was, you know, kind of riding on for most of the record. Um, just about, you know, you know, reflecting on his past, but also, you know, thinking about, you know, um, all the good things he has going on currently. So it's a nice song. I don't know. I don't have too much to say about it, frankly. Yeah, I um, I like it. I think uh, this is the 
This is the uh, bookend. You know, this is the other half of the cover from the first song. Uh, unlike March, where it comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb, it comes in like a lamb and kind of goes out like a lamb. I, I like this song. I think it's pretty pleasant. It doesn't have some of the energy that a lot of my favorite songs on this, or, or I think the first half of the record really carries. But um, but it does. It, it's got this spirit to it that I think this kind of touches on the, the heart of what this album is. So mm-hmm. um, I, I enjoy it. I appreciate it. I think it's, uh, it's certainly a keeper for me. Um, lyrically, it's, it's a bit repetitious. It's, you know, kind of cycling through a lot of the ideas, but it's sort of like him trying to tie off loose ends, if you will, you know, and, and it's so interesting to talk about a record that's, uh, you know, a memorial for lost, acquaint lost friends lost people in your life but this seems it seems done both eloquently and familiar you know it, it feels very bruce and uh at the same time it's him kind of coming to terms with where he's at in his life yeah i would uh say uh i like this song um it's with the the main theme i'm looking at I'm just looking at the song titles yeah. and I'm thinking this would have made a good side of an album for me where you go one minute you're here letter to you yep. last, last man standing mm-hmm. ghosts and I'll see you in my dreams. Mm-hmm. I think that that's those are like, album. yeah, yeah. Well, that's, it's well, a that's like, album. It's, it's a <laughs> album. Exactly. But that's, so, you're, you're totally right. That's the theme. I, I'm saying that, that would have been a perfect side for me. And, and that's probably, I'll make a little playlist for this album and I'm, I'm taking away five songs, Yeah, you know? Uh, but uh, I'll see you in my dreams. was a nice closer. Um, do we want to talk about for death is not the end lyric? <laughs> should, we, should we should we have a discussion yeah right <laughs> uh, but anyway he, he, he's he's come he's come he's come he's come to a different place which is which is great you know i mean everybody changes as they age and i guess as as you get older uh things weigh on you more and maybe you come to a, a different conclusion than you did when you were younger um so uh, you know, you know, you saying that really clicked, Mike. Um, the other most memorable part of that that interview I heard done with him on NPR, um, which I, I thought it was actually it was actually very interesting, and I give a lot of credit to Bruce because he he just kind of he fed the content and and st- st- uh, did the steering on the interview. He's like, you know, death was obviously the centerpiece of this record, but he's like when I was young, uh, death was always around. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, there were a lot of people, a lot of family who was dying. Oh, and, yeah. and he said, you know, and I, I bet he said something very similar in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that going to these funerals and wakes and he's like, you know, gr- growing up Irish, Italian, Italian mm-hmm. families. This was the only time you see everyone, all your f- friends, relatives, acquaintances, all at one place at one time are these events. And he's like, but then you go through this long section of your life, the the middle of your life, 20 to 40, 25 to 50, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. where death is less a part of your life and the people in your mm-hmm. life are, are there and present and active. But then you hit where he's at, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he's like, you know, from 50 to 70, 
it's once again very very present so mm-hmm. um i actually thought the way he spoke about that brought me more into this as an album conceptually and especially the songs you listed off because it's like oh okay this is him he's he's working through a thing mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it's right. always cool when you see an artist doing that on a theme mm-hmm. so um, overall, I actually, I really appreciated this record. I, uh, I, I think I liked it more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. And, and for two big reasons, one, um, the theme and how it was handled, but two, overall, I really enjoyed the sound. And, and I think I, I've said it several times with that warmth, the familiarity of the E street band and a lot of that sound, you know, I think there was more saxophone on this record than a Bruce record in a long time. And <laughs> I've always felt like it's been tastefully done. So mm. I uh, gotta have those sax solos. <laughs> I, I think I think this is a, a worthwhile Bruce Springsteen record to check out, and uh, and I, I think I will go back to at least a handful of the songs on here for sure. So we're getting to the end here, but I have two questions: one for both of you, and one just for Mike. So apparently, he was given a guitar by. This is a quote from him, an Italian kid um, mm-hmm. at the doors one night when he was doing the uh, the Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he says that he wrote all the songs on it. And then mm-hmm. apparently he sat down with Roy Bitten, who's the, the keyboard player. Um, and Bitten was like, you know, hold these songs as sketches. We'll get the East Street Band together and we'll kind of build them all out, you know. So my question for you guys, is that story true? Did he make it up or <laughs> does it even matter? Um, doesn't matter, but I'm going to say it's true because, because at this point, it's not like he needs any help winning people over. It's not like he needs help winning over the, uh, Italian Americans of the New York, New Jersey, (laughs) greater area to be all in for Bruce Springsteen. So I'm going to say doesn't matter, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's true too. Um, my uh, my sister-in-law is a huge, I mean, I'm a big fan, but she is almost a stalker type fan. And, <laughs> and, and I'll, 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 give you, I'll give you a story. Uh, she, she saw the Broadway sh- show two times, I think. And those, those tickets weren't cheap. I mean, that's what kept yeah. me away. I mean, I, you know, to me, I want to see Springsteen with a band. Yep. Uh, you know, I don't want to see him solo. And, you know, when I saw the Netflix uh version i was like oh i'm glad i didn't go because it just yeah i felt it, exactly the same I, I, I like i like when the band is there and they're they're doing their thing but my my um the second time i think it was my sister-in-law went to see the show she was she was eating in a restaurant that sort of looked right down onto the theater yeah where it was playing and she noticed that it was it was one it was getting late and I don't, I don't know if she went to this restaurant specifically to sort of see Bruce come in, but, but what was happening, there was like a gridlock traffic around the theater. And somehow I guess she knew what time he usually arrives. Yeah. So she, she, she realized, Oh, he's stuck in traffic. Chances are he's, he's going to have to, <laughs> he's going to have to bail out of his car at some point and walk it because that's, that's the fastest way to get to the theater. Sure. So, so she literally, I think left the meal, at the restaurant and, and, and hit the street yeah. and intercept and intercepted him. She, she, <laughs> she, 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 she did know 
she she was able to figure it out. She got down and she she inter- intercepted him. But guess what? Bruce was not in a good mood. He'd just been sitting in traffic. <laughs> he, he, he's late. She's trying to, you know, be nice and, you know, polite with him, you know, chat him up and so on. But he's not in the mood. Oh, and, no. And she, 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 she took a picture, you know, this flying selfie with her. And Bruce is not even looking at the camera. Oh, he's, man. Looking, he look, he's looking dead straight ahead of him. I'm like, I'm late. I got I'm not in the mood for this. So, but it's it is a great picture though. I mean, I, it's like, wow, okay. Uh, that like says it almost, all. That's almost better to have a story like that. I feel like Oh that, yeah. No, it's a great story, fun. you know. Yeah, it is a great that. story. I love that. Um yeah, so okay. So we think it's true. Pete, what's your what's yeah. your question for Mike? I mean, so so question for Mike. Um and Mike, just for reference, we did a, a previous episode on um, Born in the USA. So this question mm-hmm. kind of comes from that. Mm-hmm. For you, Dancing in the Dark, yes or no? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't had the, a 12-inch. <laughs> you know? I yeah. mean, at the time, at the time it, it was like, oh, you know, uh, what's he doing? He's doing a, tw- uh, a dance track, you yeah. know, uh, you know. So it was like, yeah, this was Disco Bruce or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> and the funny thing is, at the time, uh, the Stone Pony was, you know, right on the, the uh, Ocean Avenue. Yep. And then r- one block away, up from the Stone Pony, there was a dance club called Xanadu's. <laughs> yeah. And and I think that song, you know, I guess he used to pop in there every once in a while. And he wanted to see the DJ play that song in a dance club, and I think I think that may have been the first time that song was played. Wow! Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I sort of remember that at the time. And uh, I mean, yeah, I like it. I mean, you guys don't like it, or oh, I'm a big fan. Big fan. Bob's, okay. a, huge, Bob's a huge fan. Um, oh, I, okay. I, I could leave it. I've just I've heard it too many times. But that your story makes me like it more. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if it was inspired by Xanadu's, <laughs> <laughs> or or he just figured that would be the place he wanted to see whether it worked as a as a dance track. You know, he, he and, figured he figured he had the Stone Pony crowd on lock, and he was looking down. He's like, well, how do I connect with the Xanadu <laughs> folks? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, but, uh, yeah, Xanadu's, that was someplace. <laughs> well, uh, Mike, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was awesome. I hope, uh, I hope you consider coming back on again. Uh, we'd love yeah, to have this you. Was good. This was really fun. Um, Pete, where can you, uh, do you got anything else? Uh, I'm looking at my notes. It was a couple things. Yeah. Did you guys notice with, uh, uh burning train? The first time I, I was listening to it, I thought I thought he was he was saying Butter Train. I was like, "What? What the hell? What the hell is this song, Butter Train?" Yeah, I didn't really get what he was saying at first either. Okay, so uh, that was one note I wanted to talk about. Butter Train uh, would have been would have made the song a little more interesting. Um, yeah, we, were, we we were over the borders. I washed you in holy water. We whispered our back pra- black prayers and rose up in flames. Take me on your butter train. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, you know, on uh, House of a Thousand Guitars, I got a note about yeah. the, one, the one line, truth ring out from every small town bar. And uh, I just had an experience in, my, in one of my local bars. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you saw me talking about it on Twitter. Uh, Florida man came to New Jersey <laughs> on his vacation. 
Okay. And and he was in my bar the other night, and uh, I ran into him in the bathroom, and he uh, he wanted to uh, bring his drum into the bar. Okay. He he had been pounding on the bar, you know, to the music on the jukebox, and I guess he wanted he wanted to work it out on a real thing. He said, uh, "No, I don't think that would be a very good idea. You know, it might be a little too loud in here." So he thought about it, and so he didn't bring the, the drum in. Uh, but then later he got into a fight with somebody over the the uh, mask uh, mask wearing uh, protocol. Of course. And uh, he didn't like the guy's attitude. Which, as a bartender, I, I've noticed when whenever patrons get into a discussion about attitude, uh, it's always a bad scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think as, the line "I don't like your attitude" is just yeah. That, that's a precursor to um, physical yeah. contact. It's it's all downhill from there. Yeah, and that's what happened. And he was he was thrown out of the bar. So I don't know what what small town bars that Bruce is going to where there's all this <laughs> all this truth on, on display. But I, I I don't see a lot of truth in the bars. No, I, I just wanted to get that out there. Yeah, no, I, I think you're. I think you. Uh, we might need to have him on and actually say so. So we need you to uh, like like um, crime scene detectives like. Bruce, we'd like to get a list of all the the small town bars you've been to recently uh, because we need to vet this. We don't we don't think we're uh, this isn't adding up. We don't hear a lot of truth ringing out. And the thing is, he he does show up in, in you know different bars. He I sure mean, does. <laughs> he showed he showed up. Uh, I don't know if you know where Farmingdale is. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a bar there that you know I go to every once in a while, mm-hmm. uh, and they have music in there, and uh, I didn't know that uh, his brother-in-law is in a, a local band, uh, Patty's brother. Okay. And he was playing at this bar in uh, Farmingdale, and he and Bruce showed up. You know, so, he, you know, now I've seen him show up at different uh, bars for other acts, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen him uh, at a Marshall Crenshaw show. I saw him at a Graham Parker show. Those were at the Stone Pony, which are obvious. But then, mm. you know, I saw Steve Earle in Long Branch. Mm-hmm. And Bruce was there for that one. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I give him credit that he'll just go out and does – and people don't bother him. You know, he, he wears a, a baseball hat like we can't figure it out, you know. <laughs> right. he, 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 he wears it low, you know, like so it's like down right over his face. But, you know, <laughs> as he goes through the crowd, everybody, hey, Bruce, what's going on? We get the, but they're cool, you know. Nobody's being an idiot. He has he, – he gets um, – he gets – Local slash uh, what they call the L.A. treatment, I think, in mm-hmm. the tour largely where where, you know, in Los Angeles, a lot of famous people like to live there because there's a lot of famous people. And, and mm-hmm. you know, there's, it's kind of this you're, you try, you know, unless your name's Michael Jordan, the code is just just let them do their thing. Try to do. Mm-hmm. Your yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I think Bruce really gets that at the shore. You know, I, yeah, I, yeah, I've, yeah, seen him, I've seen him up at the boardwalk at different times. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's still, he's, he's bound to bring a crowd, but everyone tries to be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, so I, I really appreciate you again for coming on, Mike. Hey, thank you. Pete, where can we be found on social media? At it came from NJ Pod on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can email us at it came from NJ Pod at gmail.com. Right. And, and Mike, uh, where can the people find you? Well, I mean, I guess a, at apmike.com uh, is where I'm at mostly these days. I'm, I'm going through the, uh, 
Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums. And I'm, I'm doing my little one tweet per album take on Twitter and people seem to enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually, I'm, I'm a big fan. What, what, uh, what drove you to do that? I'm curious. Uh, I guess sheer boredom. Having a lot of time on, sure. having a lot of time on my hands, you know, just trying to have like uh, some sort of schedule for the day because yeah, I mean, my, my other work has been out as well. You know, I work at, uh, MetLife Stadium, Prudential Center, PNC, and all of that's been shut down. So uh, I've had a lot of free time on my hands. <laughs> sure. Well, any well, album? Any albums that you've listened to for the first time that you'd recommend? <laughs> Which ones? Um, you know, I guess the, the funniest one was, and Tom reacted, was there's a John Mayer record on there. And, you know, I, I have not listened to one John Mayer album or song, I think, ever. Yeah. Uh, being aware of it anyway. And uh, I think it's called Continuum. Okay. And Steve Jordan's on there. He produced it. Uh, the drummer uh, used yeah. to be on uh, Late Night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was surprised. I mean, it's like, this isn't bad. This is a solid album, you know, and the songs were different. The songwriting was good. Uh, so I guess that was the biggest surprise, you know. All right. Very good. Well, uh, everyone follow at AP Mike on Twitter. And uh, thanks again. We will talk to you guys next week. Thanks, everybody.